Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us. Last night we had a little bit of a battle. There was two kingdoms fighting. There was Chief's kingdom and the kingdom of God. And the Chiefs won. They won. But uh, our numbers were really down last night. And I understand. That's why many of you are here today. Thanks for coming. And if my message ever gets boring, look outside. Isn't that awesome? Just uh, There's just enough rain and enough snow that... Boy, it just looks beautiful out there. I'm sorry if you had to shovel, but, you know, it might help. A little bit of activity helps every once in a while. But we're glad you're here. We're in a series that we're concluding today. It's called Ears to Hear. And we structure each week so that if you, um, if this is your first week, you can kind of join right in with us. I'll give summary along the way. I'm really glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching And he's talking about different types of soil, different types of soil that seed lands on. And he ultimately will interpret it on what is the reception of his word in our hearts. And I think you're here because you want to respond to the word this morning. I think there's so many other things to do on the weekend that you put this as a priority because you want to learn, you want to grow, you want to follow Jesus. And so it's with that that we're going to be focusing on this third soil that Jesus teaches about. He talks about the the soil of the weeds, and when the seed is thrown among weeds, what happens? He's going to interpret it as the distracted life and the word of God. And so let's look at it, and we'll read that passage beginning with verse 3 of Mark chapter 4. It says this, Jesus says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. We're going to be talking about that group today. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And then he interprets it. Look down at verse 14. He says, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is not questioning whether or not we have ears. He's questioning, are we listening? Are we using them? Not only with, um, with people around us, but most importantly, with a heavenly father who wants to speak into our lives and bear fruit through our lives. 
In the past, we've looked at, uh, at this, but before I move there, let's just again look at the environment Jesus was teaching. And I've traveled there. It's in the region of Galilee. It's kind of more an agricultural area. It's the Kansas of Israel. And that was where Jesus built most of his ministry, spent most of his time teaching is in this region. If you look at it today, you can see fields around it still to this day. Way in the distance, you'll see some mountains. And right in front of those mountains is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide by about 16 miles long. It's freshwater. It's not really a sea. It's called the Lake of Gennesaret. And this is where Jesus was teaching. He was actually, the crowd was so large, he was in a boat. And he pushed off a little bit from shore. And I bet you he used the, the water as an amplifier so that his voice could be heard to many people sitting around and listening and sharing this. And a parable was spoken kind of in code. And everyone was wondering, is he speaking to us? What does he mean by this? Which is exactly why the disciples asked him the question, interpret this for us. Tell us what you mean by this. As uh, I was walking and traveling in this area, I was hiking down Mount Arbel, and which is right, you can oversee the whole Sea of Galilee on Mount Arbel, but coming down that path, uh, you can see the types of soil Jesus was talking about. The path had nothing on it, and to the right or left of that path, you could see rocky ground, and you could see soil that had thorns or weeds. Around Bethsaida, the, the town where Peter and Andrew came out of, I took this picture, and these are really of thorns, those noxious weeds that grow up and choke out the productivity of a field that a farmer or a gardener has planted. But what does this mean? Because there's some same things about this parable, and there's some different things about this parable. With the weeds, it's the same. It's the same seed. The same seed is sown on each one of these soils. And what is that seed? What is that? And Jesus interpreted it. It's the word, but even more specifically, it's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the good news from God that the salvation of our lives is not up to us. It's not in you being good. It's trusting in the perfection of Jesus who lived for you, who died for you, who rose again for you. It's good news against the backdrop of bad news that we're all sinners and none of us can save ourselves. But God saw that need and he chose to act fully and finally in the person of Jesus who lived, died, and rose again for us. Whether or not you believe the gospel, it's still true. Whether or not I trust the gospel, it still has the power of God for salvation, but it's applied to those who believe. Jew and Greek are invited into the story of God through the person and the work of Jesus. Secondly, the sower. Who is the sower in this teaching Jesus was? He gave the truth. He spoke the truth. But you know what? In, in any environment, when someone who has the gospel, who has the truth, shares the truth, you become a sower. And therefore, the difference is the types of soil seed falls on. The types of lives, the types of souls, the types of hearts that the gospel lands on. There's going to be people who are more like the hardened soil who go, no, don't want it. I mean, good for you, but not for me. I can't believe in it. I don't believe. I tend to believe in what's reasonable, what's rational to me, and I don't want it. And there's others who even go, that may be true, but I don't ever want to follow Jesus. I just don't want Jesus. They're going to be hardened. Other people are going to say, yes, I want Jesus because I want him to do this and I want him to make all my wildest dreams come true and I want to have a spouse someday and I want to have kids and so I'll have Jesus as long as he does this for me. But the second those things don't work out, I walk away. And as immediately as they want him for the good news for their lives, 
when bad news hits them, they'll fall away. And then there's those who are like thorns, those who are distracted. Have you ever seen that movie Up, the Pixar film Up? It's one of my favorite Pixar films because one of my favorite characters in that film is Doug the dog. You know what I'm talking about? He has this collar that interprets everything he's thinking. And so when Doug is around you, you're hearing what's going through his mind. And I love this. I wanted to show you this clip. It's only about 10 seconds long, but this is Doug. My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! My master is good at... I love it. Even though you have this collar, he can't ignore the distraction of squirrel, you know? And so much of us, it's kind of a viral uh, commentary on our culture right now. We're talking, we're in a meeting, all of a sudden, squirrel, where did that thought come from? Where do those words come from? I mean, not that it would ever happen to me, right? In an elder meeting or a deacon meeting or a staff meeting. There's at times I'm just going through and all of a sudden a squirrel comment comes out. Even I question, I don't see it. Where did that come from? But everyone around me loves me. I said, where did that come from? We are so distracted. There's so many squirrels around us. But let's look at the squirrels that Jesus is addressing here. And let's look at his words as he taught this passage. He said that something happened when seed fell among the thorns, where it they were choked, and they yielded no grain. And then he interprets this type of soil as our souls. That something happens when the, when the word of God comes into us that chokes the word. It overwhelms it, so at the end result, when there was supposed to be harvest, when there's supposed to be growth and maturity, actually there's not. There's nothing. There's, it proves unfruitful. And we can look at the words of Jesus and we can start to interpret this. Why did Jesus call out? He said, cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and then the desire for other things. Those three things is what the church has interpreted this passage to mean over the course of church history. So what does it mean? Well, it, it changes meaning depending on how you view these words. Because if you factor out these words like it's the world it's riches, it's other things, then it will change how you apply this passage. And there's those who said, the problem with my life, the problem with me growing in a relationship with God is the world. The world, and we can define the world as my marriage. (laughs) If I just wasn't married to that person, my life with Jesus would be so much better. And so we look for an out. Or it's my job. If I had a different job that paid better bucks, I'd be such a pleasure to work with. And we, we kind of make our commentary on the world. And by the way, churches are really good at this. And I'm a pastor. This is easy stuff for me. The problem is, is, is it's this political group or it's that political group. And churches get wrapped up in the world. Just escape the world. Or the problem is the rich people in this world. Those one percenters. I mean, they're the problem. They're the man. They're holding us back. And we, we tend to think if we just took a vow of poverty and we became monks, that our lives would be free from the love of money. And here's what I've learned. It's whenever I pursue something that makes me feel more holy in myself or makes me feel more godly out of performance or an action or a, a prevention, 
it tends to creep in on a whole nother issue with evil in my life. I tend to look more self-righteous. I remember, and I've grown up in a church, but I've grown up in a church where they said, well, watching television is just bad for the family. You should never watch television. And we're followers of Jesus, so we don't watch television. And we don't go and watch movies either. And I went, wow, I just watched a lot this week. I feel really judged. I don't know where I'm going now. But as I got to know those families, the same things that were happening in my family, the same brokenness, the same anger, the same issues they were dealing with, they just didn't have television. Folks, we can try to get out of the world and escape to a place like Hawaii where there are no problems, but we still have us. You still have you. I mean, I've noticed this. I mean, I've noticed it in me. I thought, boy, if, if I just didn't have to be around that person, okay, end the relationship. But I saw the same issue showing up in this relationship because it's me. It's me. Other people may amplify it, but I'm still the issue. And we could, be, uh, we could pursue asceticism, which is the removal of a society, and move, remove ourselves from riches and take a vow of poverty and just not be concerned with everything. Just go towards this simple life, which right now in our culture, the simple life is the one that's glorified right now. Just simplify life and you won't have these problems, but the problem is we still have us. I still have a brokenness in me that cannot be cured by simplicity. It cannot be cured, cured by a vow of poverty. I will always look like I'm better than someone else if they have what I don't. That's just something that only Jesus can set me free of. And so as we look at this, one, one of the great persons who really discovered this was a guy named Martin Luther. And Martin Luther was... Uh, a, a German monk, and, and he went away to a monastery, and he started reading the scriptures, and he started looking at the righteousness of God in his life, and he started looking at his own, the brokenness and the deceitfulness of his own heart, and he literally would take it out on himself. He thought he could work his way to God, be good enough, and that someday God would look at his righteousness and say, okay, Martin, you're in. And he would literally, his, his uh, biography literally has him beating himself over his sin, trying to become right with God, with his own punishment against his life. But then he opened up the book of Romans, and he started reading it. And the passage that really changed him was Romans chapter 3. But now, a righteousness of God has been revealed. And that righteousness was that God knew we couldn't beat ourselves up enough to pay for our sin. God knew we couldn't do righteous acts to restore a relationship with him. That's why Jesus had to come. And when the truth of grace, God's undeserved love, God's unearned favor, God's forgiveness without any strings attached, it radically changed his life. The Protestant Reformation was fueled by grace of realizing it's not the world's problem. It's not Rich's problem. It's not other things. The issue is with me. And Jesus ultimately saves me. And through me, I can restore and bring his glory back into a perspective with this world and with money and possessions and with every other thing. See, Jesus is ultimately addressing the issue of something that's happening within us. And that's why instead of the world and Rich's and other things. He addresses the internal struggle 
these conflicting values within us of the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. So let's take each of those. And I know we're going a little bit deeper, but hang with me because I have a point. The first thing let's talk about is the cares of the world. What is Jesus talking about when he talks about the cares of the world? Well, think about your own life and ask yourself, what do you care about? If you were Like yesterday, before you went to sleep, if you were to take out a blank sheet of paper and just write about today was Saturday, what happened? What did I care about today? Just list those things and you'll realize what do you really care about? And caring about invests your time, your energy, your finances. What do you care about? Because those cares of the world will ultimately move you towards worry. And when you worry you will ignore the word of God. When you worry, we're called to trust in God. We're called to worship instead of worry. And the cares of the world are things that will crowd out uh, with sometimes very good things, the greater things. So a question you might want to ask yourself is, what do you care about? It'll be expressed in your words, your conversations, your interests, your worries. What am I worrying most about? And what ultimately Jesus is saying is the good soil cares about Christ and his kingdom. Cares about Christ and his kingdom. Secondly, he talks about the deceitfulness of riches. And what do we mean about the deceitfulness of riches? Because that word deceitfulness, which means there's a lie that comes with riches or the pursuit of riches. And that is this. You are worth how much you're paid. You have value based on how much you have. You have worth and significance based on how much you are productive or how accomplished you are or the position that you have. And that's a lie. That's a lie because our Heavenly Father doesn't give value based on our salaries. Thank goodness. God doesn't give value on what you've done. He's given value because he is the ultimate valuator of life. He's the, he gives valuation to all of us. He's created us in his image as priceless and eternal beings worthy of the gospel that everyone, everyone would be presented away back to himself through Jesus Christ. And ultimately, the question we need to ask is, is, is really, what truly do I have? What do I have? You know, we've never lived in a world where you will be asked this question, what do you have? This is what I got. We've never lived in a world where you have seen more of what other people have and you don't. I mean, whether it's Home and Garden Channel, oh, folks, what should I do? We put up an Instagram, farm sink or compartmentalized sink? Shiplap in the living room or not? You know, and we, we exchange and we're constantly promoting and showing and asking for advice. And, and, it's, and we're always wondering, this is what I have, this is what I don't have. But we just sang a song that's to orient our hearts around the reality That by faith in Christ, all I have is Christ. Did you realize what you sang? You sang, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Is that something worth saying, hallelujah? Because we have to order our minds and our hearts around Christ. Because this world will call us and tempt us to order our lives around what we really have 
And we need to be able to be people who are ordering our lives appropriately around Christ. What do you truly have? Christ is enough. If Christ isn't enough and you need him and the American dream, then, then it's only for Americans. And that's less than 5% of the world's population. That means 96% of God could care less about them. If I operate like that, that's what I'm saying. All I have is Christ. This means the gospel can go to the slums of India and preach, be preached, and when people who have nothing believe in Jesus, they have enough for a relationship with God. They have enough. And then finally, it's not just the cares of this world. It's not the, just the deceitfulness of riches. It's the desire for other things. And what Jesus is saying is, look, if you, if you aren't bothered at all by the wor- worries of the world, if you just live in the moment and you're not a worrier, and if you're not just pursuing wealth and riches, you could probably sneak your way out of this one. But really what he's saying is the desire for any other thing. And that really asks us the question, what really do I want in life? Because our desires move into our wants, and they become a huge motivator. And they can distract us if it's anything else, if any other thing than Christ is in our lives where we're desiring it more than him, if we're focusing on it more than him, if, we're, if it's causing us to lose our perspective on who we are and who he is then it's going to distract us. That word that's planted in us is not going to grow. It's not going to bear fruit. And so Jesus calls us to live, to live in a life, live away from our distractions and into an engagement with him. And so what does that look like? Well, if we're distracted from God, then we're going to be chasing after these things that Jesus mentioned. We're going to be hurried in life because those things have requirements and those things have deadlines. Those things are always moving. They're always shifting. If you like technology, I mean, hang on for a ride. If you like gadgets, hi, I'm Joe, hang on for the ride. Because they will, there's always going to be something better tomorrow, and you're always going to feel like you don't have enough. If you're going to chase your children and their accomplishments based and, and view that as your worth or success as a parent, hang on. Hang on for a ride where you will be hurried and harried for most of your life. This doesn't mean they shouldn't compete. This doesn't mean they shouldn't be in dance. It just means that those things can't be the greatest things. That, that the integrity or the value of my children is hung to an ACT score or an opportunity for a scholarship, that, that just cannot interfere with my love for them or my commitment to them. It will overwhelm them and choke them. And when I pursue those things, it will overwhelm, it will choke me. The word of God cannot bear fruit in a distracted life. But when I am engaged with God, which is what Jesus is calling us to with the good soil, I'm abiding. I'm abiding. I'm open. I'm available for the word. I'm not hurried. I'm present. I'm in the moment. I'm available to God. I'm, I'm humble and I'm authentic to let the word take root in me. I'm not resistant like the hardened. I'm not only wanting what's good for me or what I think is good for me. I'm open to whatever God has for me. And the picture that Jesus gives is a blessing of 30 time and 60 time and 100 fold. That's an overflowing, fruitful life. I'm not choked. 
I'm actually, I'm, I'm showing the productive nature of God in my life. Folks, here's something that's going to happen. As sure as the sun is going to rise, weeds are going to grow. Weeds are going to grow. They're going to happen in our lives. And, and we're going to have this nice message that we listen to and that we feel comfortable listening to here. But man, you're going to leave here and something's going to happen either this afternoon or this evening. And you're going to be tempted to buy into the lie of riches or of wealth. You're going to be tempted to worry and be overwhelmed by the concerns of your children or your own career or that relationship that isn't working out the way you want it to work out. Weeds are going to grow. What do we do when they grow? The issue that we're called to is to re-engage with God. To re-engage with God. Distractions are all around us. And when you're distracted, you're still called back to a relationship. So come back to that walk with God. That walk with God that's an abiding, present, overflowing, fruitful walk. So how do we do that? How do we stay engaged with Jesus? Well, there's four thoughts I want to give you. These aren't points. They're just thoughts that as I've looked over a relationship with Jesus, this is, this is what it's, it's meant to me. And number one, it's a relationship. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. It's not something I check off at the, at the end of the week of did I have my, my church time. It's not a system of doing this or that. It's a relationship. And so that's how God is shown to us in the scriptures. That's what Jesus teaches to us about a a relationship with him is he brings us back to our godly family. He brings us back to our heavenly father, the God of the universe, the living, true God has called us back through Christ. And he's called us back to be in his family, for us to be his children and he to be our heavenly father. We're to relate to him as a loving heavenly father. Some of us have never had a loving heavenly father show us. Come to the scriptures and learn and discover what it's like to be in a family with a loving heavenly father. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with our heavenly father and it's a relationship with each other. Jesus summed up the top 10 commandments and he said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? Anyone he puts in front of me. I don't get to pick and choose in the kingdom of God. It's anyone who God's places in front of me. I'm to love the Lord my God and allow him to teach me how to love my neighbor. That's why I want my kids. That's why I want to love Jesus more than I love anyone or anything else in this world. Because when I love Jesus, he teaches me how to love everyone else he puts in my life. It's a relationship. Over these next 10 weeks, we're going to be starting a series called Living Hope. And it's all about how to walk with God through times of suffering. And I hope you'll join us in as a family. And we can grow together as we grow with our Heavenly Father. Secondly, it's not only a relationship, it's daily. It's daily. Now, I love this time. I actually, I I absolutely just thank God for the opportunity to get into God's word and teach it and to call everyone into following Jesus Christ. I love this time. But this time cannot be the sum total of a relationship with Christ. It can't be it for you and it can't be it for me. My walk with Jesus has to be more than preparing for a weekend message. 
My walk with Jesus has to be more than thinking of illustrations and thinking and, and interpreting the scriptures the best as I can through the languages on what this is like so that I can call you to it. My walk with Jesus has to be me following Christ daily. It's me who's, who's looking to God on a daily basis, who's getting into his word on a daily basis. This is not enough. Even though I love it, it can't be enough. Any more than me feeding you one meal a week would make it in your life. There would be hanger. There would be hanger in just a few hours if this was it. And so we're called into a daily relationship, just as we are with family members or in a marriage or with our children, to talk and to walk, to communicate, to listen. We're called into that with our Heavenly Father. And one of the things that we like to do here at Fellowship is we like to provide life-giving resources to help you keep your walk daily with God. And this is not the, the magical pill or anything like that, but this is a resources that we just finished producing. It's called Living Hope, and it will go through First and Second Peter over the next 10 weeks. Each day, five days out of the week, you'll have the scripture that I'm going to be preaching about on the weekend, and you'll be called to just reflect on that scripture after you read it. I've written a commentary so you could figure out what, what it means, what's the Bible mean. So many people stay away from the Bible because they can't understand it. Well, we provide a daily walk so you can understand the passage that you're reading, respond with a few questions, and then just finish in prayer, praying that passage over your life. And I want to just tell you, this is something that, it's not rocket science. It will take probably 15 minutes a day. And I know some of you go, 15 minutes, and all I would say is look at your screen time. Just look at your screen time, and then we'll talk, right? Okay, but I would just say, this is a daily opportunity to make it daily. Many of us just struggle with that. So if you're in a small group, you'll be going through this over the next 10 weeks, if you're not yet in a small group or you're starting out with Rooted, I want to encourage you, download this app. This is the Fellowship app, and you can get it by searching FBC Topeka on the, um, on, on the Apple Store or on the App Store or the Android Store, and you'll get an icon that looks like that. It's free to download it, and every day on that app has our reading plan for this series. So you can at least read the passage that we're going to be talking about in the, on the weekend. And here's what I found. As many things as we can align together so that we as a church are seeking God daily, he's going to develop us and grow us as a family. I, even though I wrote this, I'm going to be going through this daily with you because I think God has, moves in us. He begins a movement in us when we're all looking at the same scripture, when we're all joining together in prayer to pray, God, bring this as a reality in my life and, and praying for each other to grow in these areas. My goodness, the spirit of God can do powerful things when we're doing this together. Do something here to make it daily. And I would just encourage you, find a place and a time where you can make your walk with Jesus daily. When my kids, and my goodness, our kids got up so early. We thought about drugging them to keep them in bed longer, but we decided against it. I just had to find time to get time with God. And if I can find time to get my personal best on the latest app game or something, I can find time for Jesus. Because it's time where the word can saturate my life and I can grow in it. 
But there were times when I would get on my iPad and I would read scripture and all of a sudden, squirrel, it would happen. And all of a sudden I'm back in the game and I'm going, wait a minute, what in the world is happening to me? Or I get a notification that I feel I had to respond to there. Or someone would send me a text and I'd have to text them back. So I just went old school. Do you guys know what this is? This is a Bible and it's in paper. And I actually had to just clear away all the digital stuff. Not that it's wrong or evil. It just was too big of a distraction for me. There's too many other squirrels on that that I had to just get with God and, and get alone with him to do that. Make it daily so that God can start feeding you and you can do, you feed on the word. And then it's also, it's also um, focused. Our walk is focused. In other words, we need to clear away some distractions so that we can see God clearly. I talked about the world and riches and other things, but, and I told you that the ultimate issue with those were not that it's wrong to be rich. It's, it's an issue that when, when seeking after riches or when security with riches, well, they will cloud out a relationship with God. The reality is, is those of you with wealth you know the things that money cannot buy. You do. And I could have you come and preach this message right now. I could just turn it over to you and you could tell me all the things money cannot buy. Cannot buy a great marriage. Uh, it cannot buy kids who love you and, and long for Christ. It cannot buy a relationship with God. It cannot buy true friends, faithful friends. It can... It can Get temporary friends as long as you keep money flowing, but it cannot buy faithful friends. It cannot buy you peace. It cannot buy you patience. So only Christ can provide those things. And so we're called to be focused on those things that we do, we really do want Christ as we pursue this. And then finally, this walk is fruitful. This walk is fruitful. What Jesus is saying is trust me on this. Trust the word in your life. Trust me to work when you allow the word to saturate and change your life. And so if we are, if this really is a relationship, that when we get into the word, we really are engaging a relationship with Christ. When we get into the word and we make it daily, we're feeding on the truth of Christ. When we're focusing and clearing away those distractions so that we can clearly see Jesus, God says, let me, let me produce. Let me produce. Now, he's talking about spiritual produce here. But I just want to challenge you. Most of our reward is wrapped up in riches. Most of our view of reward is what's in it for me monetarily. So let me go there, and then I'll move it to the spiritual. If I said to you, these are the produce. This is the fruit of what an investment in Christ is all about. You give me 10 bucks and I'll give you 300. How many of you would give me 10 bucks? This is a no-brainer. Put up your hands, okay? We can do this. If, if, if I said, give me 10 bucks and I'll give you 600 bucks, how many of you would give me 10 bucks? If I said, give me 10 bucks and I'll give you a thousand, that's a hundredfold, a thousand bucks, how many of you would give me 10 bucks? Okay. If Jesus said, trust me in this relationship, they have no heart for Christ. They ultimately are selfish and they will ruin your life. 
trust me on this one, to, relieve, to leave that relationship, to trust me only. How many of you would do it? I don't know. I mean, I'm lonely. I'm, it, no one cares for me. I'll be alone the rest of my life. I mean, how much pushback do we give? Because we can't see the fruit of what Christ is doing. I don't know about you, but I prayed this year that I would, God would grow me in a love for him more than he's ever grown me. I prayed this year that I would love my wife and my children and my church and my friends more than I've ever loved them. I prayed that I would be more patient, that I'd be more forgiving as Christ has forgiven me. I'd be patient with my wife and with my kids and with my church and with that fence post that takes me five hours to pull out in the backyard that my, my neighbors wonder if I'm actually a pastor. <laughs> I prayed for patience in those times. But it's when we trust God in these little things, it's when we trust him and we take him at his word and we follow him when it doesn't make sense that the good soil, that the, that the seed when it hits the good soil can start bearing. If you want to not produce, if you want to be unfruitful in your walk of Christ, just keep, keep trying to control life. Just keep trusting in yourself. Just keep following your way and ignore or reject God's way and nothing will grow. There's no incentive for you to follow because you've never allowed it to be planted in good soil in the soul of your heart. But if you're in for all that God wants for you in this, it's time to start trusting the word in your life and following him whether you believe, whether you understand it or not because here's what I've learned. Over a walk, over many years, I've just learned it's better to have an open, available heart for the word of God than to resist him. I just know it's better to hang on to the hand of God when the worst news comes to me that doesn't make sense and suffering happens to me because I'm better off in the hands of the Lord than I am in my own hands. And I've learned that it's, it's just really, it just doesn't compare with riches. It just doesn't compare with the worries of this world or my life to try to do this alone. You have the seed of the gospel. You have the sower of Jesus or anyone who shares the gospel. You have your soul, the condition of your heart. My prayer for you is that as we go through living hope, first and second Peter together, that we would be a church that God would entrust more of his word and we would experience the blessing of 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. He who has an ear, let him hear. Would you stand? Father, I thank you for each person you brought into this room to hear your word. And as it's been scattered across so many lives this weekend, we pray for our hearts to be open and available to you. Heavenly Father, we just right now, we want to just confess to you that we're going to leave here and there's going to be so many things that kind of are, 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 are rifling at us, like the cares of this world or, or the feeling like we don't have enough or, or even the desire for anything other than you. Lord, we just want to lift those things up to you and we want to tell you as those weeds grow, pull those weeds from our lives so that we can clearly produce for you. 
We open our lives to you. Have your way. And may Christ be glorified on earth as he is in heaven. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.